You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. And welcome back into the portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Special Christmas edition. Yeah, special mm-hmm. Christmas edition. Welcome back, everyone. Happy holidays. Yeah. Uh, before we get right into things, I'm just going to cut straight to housekeeping because I just want to focus. I want to <laughs> focus on the in- introduction to this because it's so mm-hmm. interesting. But quick housekeeping. Completely forgot last time. First and foremost, we're like back on the mics pretty pretty quickly here, which is nice because yeah. we just recorded and released not that long ago. So we hope you guys checked out our last episode. Housekeeping, Nazi Bell is coming on Patreon. We mm-hmm. totally forgot to mention that on the last episode. So patrons, stay tuned for that. Exactly. Producer suggested episode and uh, that one's like been in the uh, in the hopper, so to speak, for a long time. And it's going to be yeah. really cool. It's going to be really, it's going to be, yeah, a fun one for sure. I can't wait. It's dark. It's mysterious. It's weird. <laughs> it's the Wunderwaffe of, of the Nazis. And oh, yeah. it's, it's weird. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. Also, even more importantly, wanted to give a massive shout out uh, to a good friend of ours and supporter of the show, Matt Baldwin. Matt! Uh, over in Australia, he has recently done just an amazing art piece for us. It is the it is the coolest, the cutest, the most awesome uh, l- l- little oh. cartoon. It's a, I don't <laughs> I even know how to describe. It. There's so much going on. I don't even know where to start. It's really really awesome, and I love it so much. The details spectacular. Our faces are like Hilarious. everything about it is just so great. It like, makes he me did smile such every, a good job. every time I look at it. Yeah, it's um, so good. So yeah, we wanted to give him a, a shout out, and uh, so yeah, make sure you guys like go check out his page. Uh, follow him on Instagram. It's at Matt Baldwin Art. Um, exactly how it sounds. His last name Baldwin Art, mm-hmm. and uh, it's yeah, he does lots of cool stuff. So thank you, Matt, and stay tuned for yes. us kind of like posting. Uh, that in a series on our social media too. Yeah, and he has already posted it, so go <clears> check <throat> it out on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, happy holidays, and that's a perfect segue because here we are, just a few days out till Christmas, mm-hmm. and talking about Christmas legends and indeed the origins of Santa Claus, mm-hmm. Père Noël, uh, Saint Nick. I can't think mm-hmm. of it. I'm trying to remember. Papa Yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> Shout out to Tim Allen there yeah. uh, and his line of a million different names of Santa Claus. But seriously, that's what we're talking about today. And I had to write this in at the beginning because it's like, you guys might be sitting there thinking that, like, really? Are we are we reaching maybe a little bit? Like, we're talking about Santa Claus today. Maybe mm. why not Krampus? Yeah, and exactly. And of course... There's been a lot of coverage of Krampus, and people have done an amazing job. Go check out Astonishing Legends. They did a really great piece on that a few years ago. But what we found when we were looking into Christmas legends and the origins of the true story of St. Nicholas and the eventual Santa Claus is so much more bizarre than we ever could have expected. And mm-hmm. I'm, I can't believe that we never knew this story. I know, because if I heard this, especially as a little kid... 
Like, if I heard this in church or something, I would have yeah. been, like, just baffled. I would have been so <laughs> intrigued. I would have been like, what in the heck? But it, it is very unexpected. I'll say that much. They definitely, excuse me, left this one out, like, in Sunday school. And, I'd, <laughs> you know, I guess it would be more more of a Catholic story to tell. Yeah. Uh, like, in a more in its more modern I guess. versions of the story. But anyway, I digress uh-huh. because we'll, we'll, I guess we can talk about that later. But let's get into it because we're going to get into the backstory of a young Nicholas, not a saint yet, and it just gets weirder from there. So the true story of Santa Claus all begins with a boy named Nicholas, and he was born during the 3rd century AD in the village of Patara in Asia Minor, which is actually known as Turkey nowadays. Mm. But at the time, it was Greek. So, Nicky was Greek. And <laughs> course, yeah, he I just pictured Adam Sandler's face as soon as you said that. Just play, a rendition of, uh, of St. Nicholas, the, the spin-off from Yikes. the exact opposite of Little Nicky. I digress. Aye, aye, aye. Okay, well, Nick wasn't particularly famous. He wasn't well-known, and he, he was fairly average, I guess, but he was upper class, so yeah. we need to consider that. But Anyways, yeah, he he did have a strong faith, and this was instilled to him at an early age, and he would go on to pursue that faith into position, various positions of the church because he was born in this uh, Lycian Lycian seaport of Patera. Right. It's only like six Lycian. letters. <laughs> I don't know why. It just like it always make, throws me off when there's a Y. Anyways, yeah, sure, fair enough. <sighs> Fair, fair, <laughs> fair. Christmas pass. You get a Christmas there mulligan on that one. Let's there. be generous. Andrew's having a hard time being charitable. I am <laughs> out of season. my sack of gifts here for Amber. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm kidding. I don't know. I think that's a generality. I guess we'll find out. We'll find out by the end of the episode, won't we, everybody? I guess so. Things get dark. It's Krampus on it. <laughs> yeah, we'll save that for next year. How about? We will save that for next year. <clears throat> I, I totally have been Anyways, cutting you you're off. you're derailing me. I'm derailing you. are the one that's telling me to rein it in here. I digress. Reining it in. Rein it over, in. What is this, like five minutes into the episode? Lycian Seaport. Yeah. Continue. So we're in Lycian Seaport cities here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. We're feeling a little goofy. Too, we're feeling a little goofy. Yeah. Let's just say that. But we're reining it in for you guys. Um, so this was where he was born and he grew up. He was raised there. And essentially he decided he needed to leave. He wanted to pursue... Uh, his his scholarly faith in the Christian world. So he traveled to Palestine, and he also went to Egypt. And during this time, he became a lot closer to the teachings of these traveling Christians and scholars. And obviously, at this time, it was a little bit dangerous to yeah. be a Christian. So you had to be uh, careful about who you were, you know, involved with. And, it, yeah. And, you know, like, it was pretty admirable what he was pursuing. He was very charitable. Lots of acts of charity and, mm-hmm. and selflessness attributed to Saint Nick before he was a saint. Because yeah, obviously before. that didn't happen until after his death. But, yeah, so anyways, it's not really certain when he became a bishop, but he did. And he was known as the Bishop of Myra. And a lot of scholars, like mostly Christian scholars, believe that this happened soon after returning to his hometown. Or yeah. home, hometown. <laughs> his <laughs> home <hometown>. base. <laughs> what? Well, it was kind of... His home turf, I would, let's say hometown that. Hometown hero. The region of... Uh, Ly- <laughs> Lyce, Lyce, well, the Lycian seaport of Patera, which Lycia. is now the, which is now modern day Turkey, which is a point that we've labored with brutally here on into the portal. 
Yeah, so the reason, too, that Amber mentioned that it's Christian scholars that believe that he became a bishop of Myra soon after returning home is because they're the ones who truly believe in the full, wholehearted existence of Nicholas, because overall, very little is known about his life. There's not a lot of documents referring to him. There's not a lot of definitive anything having to do with the eventual Saint Nicholas, which is crazy because his legacy ended up being so rich and filled with stories of miracles and, of course, his acts of goodwill, which would end up being translated into this figure of Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Um, which included this, this of course, this anomalous gift-giving, and he would travel around already, like Amber mentioned. He started early on going to Egypt and Palestine. So he had this reputation of traveling, having some extra cash, and giving stuff away. <laughs> yeah. So these, and favoring these are, children, too. And, and, and exactly, and favoring mm-hmm. children. He, he did ha- have a, 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 yeah, a soft spot for, for kids and liked to help the poor. Yeah, uh, he didn't like mm-hmm. to, that, and that, that, yeah, and that was that was a common belief, and it that spread throughout the Christian world. Yeah. We do know it's almost like the original like uh, Good Samaritan. That's exactly what, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. It, I guess it wouldn't it. be, t- yeah, would it be just be loaves of bread? He wouldn't be giving <laughs> giving a kid a a little toy top or something or whatever. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Loaves of bread. Well, whatever you need. Whatever you need. You know, it's funny though, because even we associate it with like like coal being a bad thing. But back in the day, coal probably would have been a good thing. Like heat your house if you're poor. Like, is that the reason yeah. coal is associated as a bad gift now? Because kids decided they didn't want it because toys were a thing. But back in the day, Maybe. you would have been fine with coal. You would have been. Maybe you would have been fine with it. Yeah. They don't think they were using coal quite yet. No. Uh, but. like in the same way we imagine coal yeah not in the industrial revolution sense the word you know yeah but i i i I digress sorry (laughs) i don't like derailed you again this is a perfect christmas vibe to this episode because you and i were sitting here it's december 22nd we're drinking some beverages cheery family fun Sure. And we're both just <laughs> Are you like, saying that because I <laughs> We're both this close to tearing each other apart. Oh, yeah. Big, no, I'm just kidding. Big time. <laughs> it's a big classic time. McKay family holiday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, no, just, just a kidding. razor's edge of madness. Aw, no. In the best possible sense. In the best possible we're way. Feeling of cheery. course. There's always lots of stories to tell. <laughs> and we are clearly just veering drastically <laughs> off course today. I wanted to... All I was trying to say here, everyone, was that there's, there's not a lot of documents... To, to actually reference him and his family. Yeah. But okay. the ones that do exist do make a specific mention that, yeah, wealthy Greek parents that raised him to be, like, a devout Orthodox Christian, which is the reason for his initial travels. Mm-hmm. And then, like Amber already said, they likely died in some type of an ep- epidemic while Nicholas was quite young. But this is extremely murky. So, for example... There's some documents that reference that his, his parents were named. Wow, these are going to be mouthfuls. <laughs> um, uh, so this is, uh, I believe, his Epiphanus. mother's na- father's Epiphanius. name. Epiphanius. Epiphanius. And Johanna. That one's a little I feel easier. like it's a... Because f- it's like a P-H. Epiphanius? Epiphanius. Like he's having an epiphany? He's having a perennial epiphany. There's other... Sure. Maybe. There's other ones where it references... Uh, Theophanius and then Nova or Nona. As a, as the other name, and then there's accounts that his uncle was actually the bishop of the city of Myra in Lycia. Oh, interesting. Possibly at an earlier date, and maybe that was okay. the reason that he became the bishop later on. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, almost so like that, inherited. Yeah. Interesting. Right? And maybe that prompted, like, it just was in the family. Obviously, their their um, devout faith. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, that, so in some records, there's accounts that he was actually ordained by his own uncle as a priest in oh. Myra. And huh. this was documented in a book called St. Nicholas of Myra or Bari, Signs and Symbols in Christian Art uh, by George Ferguson. So, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was just sort of – so that might be, have been the series of events that led him to have his first documents because there's not really – there's really nothing about him as a young man. All of a sudden he just hmm. – all of a sudden he just got super famous. And here he is at Myra well, and – Yeah. Yeah. You mean, you mean like as a living person he became I, famous as like a bishop? And as then, a bit, Yeah, as a living person. He, I he was in locally. Think, locally. Yeah, exactly that. And I think the explanation may lie in his tendency to assist the needy like we've already said. And because he was wealthy and he was an orphan at quite an early age, it's not like there's like things like trust funds around in those days. So basically he had his inheritance to use as he wanted. And he used a lot of it. Basically, like the, the story was he used it, all of it to assist the needy, the sick, the suffering. And this is kind of where the first part of like that Santa Claus legend kind of lies in. Of course, yeah. He basically dedicated his life to serving God and, and goodwill, acts of goodwill. And, and that was why he was made a bishop. Uh, and this was considered the highest order of the ministry, obviously. And yeah, and it was still while he was quite young. So even though he was uh, a fairly ordinary person by all means, he it was his generosity and his love for children. And also they mentioned concern for sailors and ships. So those people that are most vulnerable, I feel like he's kind sense, of drawn right? to helping. It's a coastal city. It's where he's from. Oh, yeah, from. that's true. That's he would, seaside town. And that's that would obviously point. been at this yeah. time. It's not like you also have, hey, there's an Amazon down the road and there's lots of tech here. No, it's mm-hmm. like that's the industry. It's ships bringing stuff in from the sea. And that actually ties into a later legend we we're going to talk about that kind of sprang up in the Netherlands, but we're not getting there yet. So obviously, like we said already, it was kind of tough to be a Christian back in the day, in those days. And under this particular Roman emperor, Diocletian, uh, I hope I'm saying that right, he was You say that ruthless. for... I gotta cut you off. Okay. You say that for every <laughs> single I know. name. There's no excuse have, at this you point. You have to stop <laughs> no. doing that. First of all, first of all. Because we never, just, we never practice. Yes, we do. We do. Oh, okay. Well, I, I do. I'm not admitting this. that I don't practice. It's just... Really? What do you mean? We wrote the notes down. You tell well, you need to... When I <laughs> say it in my head versus when I say it out loud, it's almost you're like when you're practicing it, on Duolingo where you're like, are like, you feel so good at saying something in your head when you're writing it. And I then need to Go trans- to say it, and you're like, I can't. I don't even. I know. need to find a way to have an app developers transcribe our own episode notes into a Duolingo type app to give to Amber before we do episodes, so that Maybe. she can practice words. <laughs> The hard ones. <laughs> oh, actually, Di- that'd be great if it was literally just vocab lessons. You could input your own vocab. Anyways, everyone, we're, we're Di- getting Diocletian. Diocletian. Okay, cool. Let's go with that. He was ruthless about his persecution of Christians. Yeah, he did actually suffer for his faith. Uh, poor old Bishop Nicholas. Not St. Nicholas, but Bishop Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And he actually was exiled and imprisoned. And, and- tortured, likely. And, tor- yeah, it was not good conditions if you were a Christian. Let's just say that. Worst but, time in the Roman Empire to be a Christian. Likely. Pretty much the worst time. One of them. One of them. I mean, any time is not great. 
Watch <laughs> Life of Brian. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he was released eventually. And after that occurred, he attended what is known as the Council of Nicaea. And this was in 325. We don't have much information on that, but it basically was this really important council that was called. It was the first ecumenical. <laughs> there you go. Ecumenical e- council. Ecumenical council. That was called to preserve the unity of the Christian church. And all of these competing claims proliferating like crazy there's well, yeah. all sorts of people that have their own ideas and you know so yeah andrew's got something to say well no just i mean yeah so think of it this way everyone obviously mm-hmm. this is super early on yeah so not that long after this is, the death of this christ is just quote, over unquote, 300 here. actually yeah. it's, it's about 300 years or no, no 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 it would have been 325 years after because they count it from his death. Yeah. So obviously things After are death, spreading into AD, Eastern Europe and super different in Eastern Europe compared to the developing religion in the West. That's where you get, obviously, Whoa. the sects of the Russian Orthodox Church, old believers who we've talked about exactly. in the, city of, the lost city of Katesh and weird versions of, you know, you got George Costanza yeah. trying to join, join the Latvian Orthodox Church. Exactly. And, and, they, so and they all have their own calendars seemingly and stuff. So there's a lot of different dates for things and it can get quite confusing. Yeah, it's been confusing regard. us, to be honest. We're looking at different <laughs> calendars and all of a sudden it's like, okay. wait a second. Okay, okay, okay. I thought this date was... Yeah, I thought this date was this, but then it says this, and it's a totally different month, and you're like, what the hell? Before we get to that, riddle me this, because this just occurred to me, and just tell me right now if I'm being really dumb or not. A.D. and B.C. Mm -hmm. So, before Christ, after death. So, everything up to zero is before Christ, and then everything after zero is after death, which means Christ lived those 30-ish, what is it, like 33 years he was alive? In one year, so he lived in the year zero. So all those years he was alive don't count. Does that make sense to you? What happened to those years? (laughs) That's an interesting. Someone answer that question, please. Hmm. That's actually yeah. Isn't that weird? That does kind of make sense. Yeah, doesn't, what happened there? It doesn't make sense They at just all. started in... I just, well, I just this is out. why I use the Mayan calendar. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, not super effective. Hard to read. Yeah. Uh, we should look into that too, because I'm actually genuinely confused. I mean, it didn't that. really come up for this episode. No, it didn't. But I just thought about it. I was like, after death and before Christ. Right. Hmm. Or before common time, I guess some people say. Common era. And then common era. Yeah. Hmm. Common time. Who says that? <laughs> <laughs> Susie at the grocery store in the checkout. Just me. Just Amber. Just Amber. Okay. Silly Christmas episode of Into the Portal continues here. So basically, he attends this council of Nicaea and then, you know, is able to return and his legend continues to grow. So a couple of the... There, there's, a, there's a whole handful of different things that he was... that people claimed he did. Mm-hmm. But the two main ones are essentially that... One of them is actually super dark, so I'm going to save that for a second. The first one is that he would give uh, marriage dowries of gold to many different young girls who were on the verge of poverty and may or may not have been forced into prostitution. And there's one (laughs) particular story. Yeah, that's actually pretty dark, too. There's one particular story of three uh, girls in his hometown where he provided the... The dowries of gold allowed them to uh, be married and pretty old school, but there you go. He helped them out. They were sisters. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I believe so. Of one man who was really poor and he just felt really bad for the family. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then obviously acts like that continued many other things like that. This is the one where it gets a lot. So that's just a straight up good, good Samaritan deed, like Mm -hmm. I already said. Yeah. This is where things start to get paranormal though. There were stories that he had even before his death. 
and that's a little bit of a foreshadow here. The ability to heal hmm. the sick and the wounded and the desolate. So he, <laughs> there was a story that he actually brought three children back to life who had been murdered by either a butcher or some other member of the community and then had their bodies had been stored in a tub of brine. What? And that he had actually resurrected them. What? Yeah. As a bishop? Like, he did this? Or pre-bishop, I wonder. This, uh, we, don't, we, probably, we don't even have a date for this the, one. Again, like this, and this is the thing about St. Nicholas, and, mm-hmm. and just this, the character of Nicholas before he became a saint in general, it's a, a lot of it is just, like, legend yeah. building in Christian lore. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. we don't know what's true and what's not, and some of it could be true. And that's just it. Unless you can be a fly on the wall with a time machine, it's going to be tough to tell. But we have people that believe and still do some mm-hmm. super weird stuff with this today. So we'll, yeah. we'll get it. But that's pretty dark, though. Hey, said to have that's... brought back children from the dead. Dude, this guy's like uh, Dr. Frankenstein. A that's pretty bit. gnarly stuff. It's pretty gnarly stuff. So obviously with stories like this, it's natural that devotion to him would extend to all different parts of Europe throughout this period of essentially the Middle Ages, he has this rapidly gaining popularity. He ends up becoming essentially a patron saint of both Greece and Russia. Mm-hmm. Greece makes sense because he was born to Greek parents, would have spoke Greek naturally as a, as a child. But he also became the patron saint of children, of sailors, of mm-hmm. uh, unmarried girls, of merchants, traveling merchants and pawnbrokers. Hmm. You know, Interesting. Um, hmm. Basically, like the middle, middle Tons and lower class, hmm. uh, you know, people that would need someone to watch over them. Aww. So there's thousands of European churches that would end up being dedicated to him. They were they were named and dedicated to Nicholas, and one of them even built later on by Roman Emperor, Emperor um, Justinian the First. Oh, nice! At, at Constantinople, which is oh, now modern day Turkey. Istanbul. Yeah, and this was around the sixth century, so okay. mm-hmm. h- hundreds of years after what we've already referenced. But of course, we get to this stage here where he becomes he becomes a saint because mm-hmm. Nicholas didn't stay a bishop in Myra for forever. No, no. Let's uh, jog a couple of decades here. So he actually died on December 6th in 343, and it was in Myra, and he was buried in his own cathedral church. And so this was not over 20 years after that really important Council of Nicaea. So he was probably middle-aged at that point. That's probably about an average lifespan, I'm imagining there. I mean, we're just, this is all just wild speculation. And also and the actual date, too, is a speculation. Like people, That's true, too. Yeah, we should mention that. Like It's kind of like become known as the date of his death mm-hmm. and like the, the date of his sainthood and all that kind of thing. But... Yeah, no, we would, again, yeah, it's all kind of up for debate. Scholarly debate, I guess you could say. Could have been the 7th. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what about the 29th? Let's keep going. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't the 25th. That's Jesus's That's hmm. right. And it's funny because, should I mention this now? Like, that sure. I, the, the thing I mentioned to you before yeah, we got sure. on the mics here, just how it was so interesting to me that back in the day, like back in, you know, Saint, in, in the era of Bishop Nicholas, bishops and other high-ranking members didn't want to celebrate the 25th they didn't hmm. they, they didn't like the, the the birthday of jesus was less important in the eyes of some than the day than his death right 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 and then the mm-hmm. resurrection and like easter and like all what, what would become easter and that all that stuff mm. way more important than christmas day mary mm. and joseph in the manger 
That's interesting. All, all eh? that jazz. Who knew? Saint Nick, hey? Because little, little would he know that he, him and, him and Jesus, they yeah. become, you know, very one and the same. Like, I feel like it's like a bat- <laughs> Or just like become associated with <laughs> the like same It's like a Batman holiday. and Robin situation here. <laughs> but... <laughs> Who's Batman? Who's Robin? In this scenario? Oh, that's a good. I one. guess Batman would have to be Jesus. He's the heaviest. Yeah, Batman's got to be Jesus for sure. Yeah, yeah. And the Robin is uh, Saint Nick. Right. Anyways, okay. okay. <laughs> but he, he he died in and around December ish area kind of thing. And this is interesting because he was buried and interred in his own cathedral. But this wasn't the end because something very odd was about to occur. Uh, this was something that would change the course of St. Nick's legacy forever. And this is probably the linchpin of this episode, like we both kind of yeah. discussed. And this is so fascinating, yet we both never heard of it. So Can't believe it. this is crazy. Apparently, to this day, this is still a thing. But what happened was within the grave of St. Nicholas, a unique relic known as manna began to form. What this is, is a liquid substance, and it is said to have healing powers. And this is ultimately one of the major factors, let's say, of the, that fostered this like devotion <clears throat> Uh, to St. Nicholas uh, that we see today and yeah. ultimately formed this, uh, yeah, this sainthood around him. So it's pretty crazy. And it is, that is, the, it's very strange. Yeah. And, and so the anniversary of his death, uh, which a lot of people know as December 6th, actually on the Julian calendar, it is December 19th. So Perfect example. Like we just mentioned. There's so many different calendars. Throwing us off. A Although, actually, I think. I, but it's known as St. Nicholas Day. I have to. So. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, if we what? have any Polish listeners out there. Oh. But I'm pretty sure the 19th is important. I can't remember if it's Polish or, or if there's other Eastern Yeesh. versions of, of Christian. I know that there's an earlier, just before Christmas celebration, um, Oh, it might have been the 19th. Anyway, hmm. so many different dates here, you guys. It's, there it's is crazy. the Ukrainian Christmas, which is in January. Yeah, that one's after. Yeah, I think it's like January 6th. I'm Ukrainian too. I shouldn't know this. Well, I think it's the 6th or the 3rd or something. Anyways, I don't well, know. you've never been to Ukraine. You no, but my bubba used to celebrate it. We used to have pierogies every year. Or pampushkas. We'd have like, you know, it would just be like a little. Hit us up if you have Eastern background. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've uh, had a pampushke. <laughs> and if you've had a pampushke. Okay, back to the mana, because this stuff, is, is. this stuff is weird. All right, yeah, mana is strange. And let's just, like, talk about this for a sec, because, yeah, this was obviously a huge part of the veneration of St. Nicholas today. And this continues, like I said. So what it is... Okay, so it used to be referred to as, like, an oily substance. It has now been tested and it is water it's pure water and it forms in the tomb of the saint and it has it has been reported to have a sweet smell um which is interesting and it originally formed in this tomb in myra which you know this is in turkey so we got a little bit on the manna, but there was an interesting turn of events, let's say. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of shifts in history, and uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, this one's bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's And I, I want to remember to come back to this because I'm just about to get into this next section here, the Amber's teeing up, but mm-hmm. just like the consistency of the manna oh, yeah, and yeah. what it mm-hmm. might be and all that stuff because 
I feel like it may have had different stages, obviously, like, yeah, oily consistency, a, a strange mm-hmm. sweet smell, which is also super nasty because we've referenced uh, sweet, sickly smells when it's yep. uh, associated with, yeah, right, uh, the corpse flower in our Mandating yep. Plants episode. That's what that immediately reminded me of. Even like the, uh, but I hate to say it, but <laughs> the Lisa Lamb case where people... Yeah, like, but that's not how it was described, though. It was sweet as in like flowery and like you know yeah something that you were drawn to like you're walking past a bakery yeah or yeah. something like that yes exactly and it, basically what it, it was described is that the body was just like resting in this liquid that continuously emanated from it and this was happening it could be harvested and this was happening in its original location this is in myra in myra yeah modern day turkey just to reiterate for everyone here. exactly because then in 1087, and this is part of the Crusades, sailors snuck in and disinterred the remains of Nicholas at Myra and spirited them away to the southern Italian town of Bari on the Adriatic coast. Damn. It was in this event <laughs> that basically kind of re-sparked the popularity of Nicholas, and at this time now as a saint, uh, and then subsequently Bari becomes one of the most crowded, most flocked to, and visited pilgrimage centers in the world, and Hmm. still remains to to this day. And we've got, uh, they still perform a ceremony there that we're going to get to in a sec. But what was so, like this, like I said, this was happening at the time of the Crusades, and this plays into the legend of the paranormal element of all of this, because the fear was that not only would the bones of St. Nicholas be lost as a historical relic, but that the fragments left behind could possibly be used by the oncoming non-Christian <laughs> Turks, basically, I guess, or like peoples who would end up potentially getting their hands on the relics at Myra. But they didn't take all of them. So they got what they could. Mm-hmm. And then there was some left. Later on, right, okay, yeah. there's Venetian sailors who are passing by, and de- it, there's, it's demanded that they stop. And they go back in again, and there's still fragments left mm. that, the, that the Venetians claimed. Hmm. This was from a single chronicle in 1100 AD, that there was a whole fleet of these ships that actually had a, a bishop on them. This the fleet was accompanied by Bishop Henry... Uh, bishop Henry. Who's this? Henry. Where's the second... Henri. Henri. Where's the second name here? Henri. Okay, I might have to come back to that for you guys, but there was a representative of the church sailing with this Venetian fleet going past Myra on the way to Palestine in the very early stages of the First Crusade, Mm -hmm. and it was insisted that they anchor, go in, they did this. I'm picturing this is like SEAL Team 6, except in, <laughs> except in like 1100, right? I mean, kind of. How you do know, you they're do like, this? Yeah, exactly. How do you do this? Do you have yeah, a tarp? Like, I mean, you're... Bu- you're, you're, you're leather hides? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Good question. I don't know. But, Got him on ice? But this is what's so fascinating about this, because they feared the original disinterment in uh, 1087 was to reclaim the relics and the manna of St. Nicholas right. that had these healing powers. For the Christian world. For the Christian world, but also to prevent it from getting into the wrong hands because they believed in the power that greatly. But there was in such haste, I guess, they didn't get all of it. Mm-hmm. There's another set of, there's another expedition or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. that ends up disinterring the rest of it or as much of it as they can. Uh, by the, right. v- these Venetian travelers, which I just, it's okay. just bizarre. So that even just adds to more ambiguity because there's a lot of people that claim to have some 
of these remains. So it's it's Bari, Italy that is like the, the epicenter of like Saint Nicholas and like where a lot of like modern day celebrations take place and ceremonies and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's kind of weird, right? Because there's a lot of different churches that claim to have like and you can have a relic that's literally like the toe of a saint. Well, that's just you know it. what I mean. Like and, to, and, and people, we've got some hilarious references in a second here to Saint Nicholas in that regard. But just to not throw yeah. shade at other bishops here, <laughs> this at this second, you know, disinterment, they didn't just grab a couple of toes of Saint Nick. They went after some other bishops as well, oh, yeah? because they potentially had. They, you know, they were relics in and of themselves. Maybe they didn't have the same powers that mm-hmm. the mana this physical manna being produced by the body of St. Nicholas had. And I guess the, and I, I, we can speculate on this at the end, but I guess guys, mm-hmm. the, the suggestion here is that he's basically oozing liquid of God. Well, he's oozing liquid, healing liquid. And so it, it is kind of like metaphorical in the sense where you could see his body as the ultimate um, final gift right to to all of the christian world that they may have this almost like a spring kind of seeming you know what i mean this endless well of small sacred liquid like a small amount of sacred liquid you know yeah and that it's constantly there but it's like it's only there in this very minute amount right so it's not as if it's like this endless thing but in a sense it's 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 valued because of that, I think, and because mm-hmm. people attribute these healing properties to it. Anyways. Yeah, ex- well, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is so I- strange because you said when it was tested, it's water. It, allegedly. It's, it's allegedly pure water. And the question, I have so many questions about this. It's so weird. But just even the fact that there are so many different churches, right? Like even this one here that we have referenced from the United States, apparently a church that has... A piece of a hip bone, <laughs> not a whole hip, <laughs> just a nope, piece. No, piece of a hip bone. A piece of a hip. So if you have a piece of him, can that in itself produce mana? I'm kind of wondering about this. You know what I mean? And I we don't have any examples other than those at the site of Bari. Yeah, it's almost like, well, and then the claims at the original grave because people were and, traveling and there and Myra. being healed and, and, and there was that happening in Myra. Yeah. There's been more than just this fragment, obviously, in the U.S., like there was a a piece of rib that was loaned to the Russian Orthodox Church Hmm. and put on display (laughs) in Moscow. Okay. And, you know, and I think there was a little over a million people showed up to take a take a peek at the rib of St. Nicholas. And to obviously, like, venerate it and to hope yeah, to get some and, sort of, like... and it may not be oozing the juice, so to speak, but... The spirit's there. There's maybe... <laughs> there's the vapor of the juice in the air. No, <laughs> there's... No, but actually, I mean, probably not, you know, vapor St. Nicholas mana juice here. But at least their <laughs> presence, just being in the presence Holy of it presence. alone, mm-hmm. because it is a piece of an overall relic. It's like if you had a little fragment of the Holy Grail to some people. Yeah, it would, totally. Yeah, right? totally. And even beyond that, even if you have an icon of St. Nicholas, supposedly that has very holy properties. Yeah. You know, if you go and you pray and you're a devout Christian, you should reap the rewards of your prayers. And people, of course, go and try to do that. So the, where, Reap the rewards of your prayers. That sounds do. like a really weird way to phrase it. Well, that. no, it's... Well, it isn't. Your though? prayers may be granted if you are a good person. That's basically the same thing. I guess. I don't know. But this, the vast majority mm-hmm. of this relic, it is weird. It's like we're talking about Santa Claus, the origins of Santa Claus here, but we're referring to pieces of the the relic body of 
Saint Nick. Mm-hmm. Pretty weird. So most of it is thought to be enshrined in the Basilica of San Nicola at Bari. Mm-hmm. It's an 11th century church that has the majority of these fragments. There's this elaborate, gorgeously adorned coffin, or mm. uh, what would you call it? It's it's like a, it's a very crypt. Indiana Jonesy, yeah, crypt, massive lid type situation going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a really strange... A tomb. Yeah, it's a tomb, but it's, it's like tomb. an open tomb, I guess, like to show off. Yeah. It's not a tomb you like crawl into. That's like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Tomb mm-hmm. to me implies... Tomb Raiders. Like, you gotta go in something. But I know it's oh, not Oh, what about... Like... Oh, no, those are the outdoor ones. What are those outdoor... <laughs> it's like the indoor outhouses. <laughs> indoor outhouses. Why would you buy one of those? Because it's cheaper. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Okay. Right. okay, okay. No, but... <laughs> not a monastery. What am I thinking of? Like, the outdoor Oh, ones? a mausoleum. Mausoleum, yeah. yeah. On the steps of the mausoleum. Anyways. There we go. There okay. Go. Most of it's there, but there's fragments of it. Uh, of it, of 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 this relic of the body of Saint Nicholas, all over the world, which absolutely bizarre. There was one mm-hmm. particular re- set of research done. So it was in the 1970s. Or sorry, sorry, sorry. No, it wasn't in. It was nine. It was 2017. <laughs> oh, this was this. Okay, yeah. So I was. I wanted to make sure I was referencing the right one. So there was obviously there's been various different samples taken mm-hmm. to try to date and prove whether or not it is indeed Saint Nicholas. Mm-hmm. The quality of the testing has greatly improved. 2017, there was uh, researchers that dated one piece of this relic fragment, the hip bone, that did date to the 4th century, so it matched up with St. Nicholas right in and around the time where he would have been and Mm. was likely a man in his... It it matched up perfectly. It was a man in his 70s, area of the world, time time and place, likely St. Nick. It matched up with the timeline. Although, it was resting in this... a little bit of liquid mm-hmm. water. Yeah. Liquid quote water. Un- quote unquote here. But when I, why I'm doing that just before. Okay, well, just let me get this out. Why are you air quoting? Because, okay. because, you, because it was tested and it was tested as pure water. And mm-hmm. I'm not a devout Christian or anything here, people, like saying, I don't believe that the tests were real. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that, like, obviously, this is what's believed to be the manna. And people yeah. claim to have seen this do pr- real things and perform real miracles over centuries of its Manna, yeah. harvesting. And I'm wondering whether or not it's the type of situation where it sort of is only, up, you know, is something that's not water to those that believe kind of thing. Well, or works holy water for those is just that, water. Right? right. I mean, that's more you symbolic I mean? than it would be like... No, because he, it's blessed by uh Yeah, priest. but people don't just go down to the church in Kelowna that, to say, I want some holy water, it's going to heal my wounds. This would, allegedly. Yeah, because it's special, it's Santa juice. Well, it's extra special <laughs> holy water. Is the first then. reference to Santa juice we have had? No, we've had a couple. It's Santa juice. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, no. I All right, okay, whatever. I'll but no, no, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm just, the, the point that I'm trying to make by comparing it to holy water is the idea, like, if you tested holy water there would be nothing to prove it is holy water or regular water versus same idea, right? With this manna, quote unquote. And just like the I same guess. same idea is like manna is referenced in the Jewish faith too. And it is referenced in the story of uh, the Exodus. The, the Exodus. And it's also referenced in, I believe, uh, the, the, the legend of the Gollum too, where it's like the manna is the magic that makes them come to life. This, and, yeah, exactly. And same during the Exodus where the manna is the, the magic that allows them to survive in the cave for those like eight days or whatever they're trapped in there, isn't it? If, if I'm not mistaken. I think, no, it was no. I'm no, no, not no, no, no. It was, they were traveling. Out, so we talked about this in our uh, great, uh, was it the Great Flood episode or was it the Ark? I think it might have been the Ark mm-hmm. of the Covenant episode where they're, the Jews were trying to get out of Egypt mm-hmm. and they're traveling through the desert. They had nothing to eat. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that, so it started to appear as dew on leaves as they traveled. And it would be this, it was like their traveling oh, okay, okay, food okay. source. I'm thinking it, of like the Hanukkah this, miracle. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this, so the manna in that story was, yeah, this, this liquid like substance that magically appeared okay. as like a dew that they would eat and, and had enough nourishment in it to, to get them out of the desert. We need to get a theo- theologian on the show to like really discuss this, eh? Like that'd be so cool. Because I feel like it's more so just like a magical substance that appears in whatever form it needs to appear in to a certain degree. Well, that's exactly my point. So it's like when you're testing it and saying it's just water, it's like that's, yeah. that's, it's, yeah, wrong time, wrong place. To, to I guess. Wrong mm-hmm. person, wrong time, wrong place, depending mm-hmm. on who you're talking to. Exactly. Going back, though, that the reason I um, kind of interjected before, there was actually, so there was a couple of different studies. The one that you referenced was in 2017. There was another study done, and I believe, uh, don't quote me on this because I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it was in the 80s or 90s when this was done, and this was in Bari. They were doing some renovations to the cathedral where the the remains are yes yeah and essentially the remains were disinterred to allow this to take place and they were examined by an anatomy professor a guy named luigi martino (laughs) (laughs) and he discovered an incomplete quote-unquote skeleton of a man in his 70s and it is consistent with the timeline of Saint Nick's death to a certain degree, actually. So it corroborates the same. It, it, yeah, it does. So it, and it and he described it as resting in this shallow pool of liquid. So that's manna, I guess. Allegedly. And there's no there's no explanation really. And apparently the the remains were reinterred the fo- following you know the end of the restoration, and yeah. they continue to weep this manna. So it's not as if the restoration impeded anything. So a lot of people have a lot of things to say about this. Well, some people think that it's literally just, I, there's been suggestions that the basilica is so close to the, yeah. the sea line of the Adriatic <laughs> that this low, shallow water in the some tomb skepticism. is literally just seawater. Might have. Yeah. And I don't buy that at all just because, I mean, like we've watched the video that we're going to talk about in a second of this ceremony that takes place where they extract the manna. Yeah. And, and it isn't seawater though. They don't, they say it's pure it's water. Not, well, it's no, not, yeah, seawater. it's not seawater. It's, and it's also just not, it's on, it's on an elevated platform within a building with a stone floor. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think that they would be a little bit more on top of not letting seawater get into it. <laughs> the other, you know what I mean? And it looks into like it's, holy and it looks like, and it's clearly elevated. Like, yeah. yes, it's a not, Above well, you, sea level, like it's up a know, mountain, but it's, it's not. You no, know, no, no, because at the beginning of the ceremony in the video we watched, they actually go down a set of stairs. Oh, and they into, bring it up. They don't bring it up anywhere. They do the ceremony down there, and everyone's waiting up top, and there's only a select group that goes down into that chamber. No, there's a pretty sizable group in the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all obviously it's a bunch of bishops. It's yeah, a bunch I mean, like you know, the Pope goes. Apparently, the Pope goes, we'll, we'll yeah. get into this in a second here because I have it. Okay, right let's just here. It's known as the feast of the translation of the relics from Myra Dabari. And there's a lot of Feast of Translations. I quickly discovered this when I looked up just that term because there's a lot of saints in the world and they do a lot of these types of ceremonies and there's a lot of different dates when they say But even the date itself is contested because like Andrew said here, we had December 6th as one date and that's supposedly the date of his death. But then there's also this other date, May 9th. And this is when the man is extracted. And this happens every year from 1980 onward. This was actually sourced from Britannica, the encyclopedia there. So yeah, they, like we just said, there's a whole big show about it. It's a ceremony. The rector of the basilica 
in the presence and the delegation of the Pope, including the Archbishop of Bari, and a lot of different people, including civil authorities, quote-unquote, uh, the faithful clergy, a bunch of locals, I would imagine. But essentially what happens is uh, the Pope gives a blessing, and then also the Orthodox Bishop, and then the, <laughs> the extraction of the manna occurs, where this guy leans down, and he's in there for a while, like, because we watched the whole video, and it's it's about a nine-minute video, and it takes him about five minutes to, he's, like, kneeling on the classic little kneeling thing down in there. You don't know what he's doing. He's just, like, in the tomb. There's, like, a, it, it's all, obviously, there's, like, a, it's, it's like draped a over top of him. Yeah, like, he's through a curtain. Yeah. So you can't really see what's going on. It's all very, sec- it's all very secretive, right? There's a bunch of people around him. Like, cloak and dagger style. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's exactly like every... I mean, it, it reminds me of a lot of different things, but it's just how legends are built, right? How yeah. the, How the mythologies of things are established and built. Exactly. But also, maybe for a reason, too. Mm-hmm. And that's... So, uh, that's... Clearly, they believe it. So, mm-hmm. it is... It's very odd to watch. I watched yeah. the whole thing beginning to end, and I was like... So, there's a very excited assembly, is kind of how it's described here, and they're all kind of gathered around, and they're all, you know, anticipating this thing. And so, they take this crystal vial, and they fill it with this liquid. It's usually, like, artistically hand-painted or something. Like, the one in the video that we saw wasn't painted, I don't think, unless we just didn't see the painting on it, but... I don't recall. It's it's a glass of St. Nicholas, and there's only about 50 milliliters of output of mana in a year. So it's a very small amount, and they distribute it amongst the faithful, and it's 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 a very interesting little distribute thing. Distribute it amongst the faithful for the veneration and for like various like you know. And I'm looking at the, a photo here that we have in the notes of the, one of the vials that mm. you can you can actually purchase when you're at Bari, because allegedly, well, allegedly, I mean, I guess you can go. There's like a shop where you can actually per. I mean. Obviously, the church is making money off selling candles of saints and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And one of these, uh, one of the items is is at least the bottle, but not with the actual. I'm sure you can buy it where it says it is, and it's just holy water, right? Well, Quote unquote. Well, yeah. It's kind of like oh, do... it's a little tourist memento of the manna. Let me say this: they do cut it, so they take the manna and then they supplement it with holy water, and then they distribute it. Right. So there's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, because it says here in this one note I found, <laughs> you can obtain some mana in a shop nearby. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a very diluted mm-hmm. mana. Yeah, exactly. Well, I wonder how effective the mana would be when it's that diluted. But know. but again, like maybe, well, <laughs> maybe it only applies to the faithful. I did find another word for it. There in I think it was in. Um, the same book that I referenced a second ago, and I'll bring it up again. There's another one, uh, a 2004 documentary called The Real Face of Santa that talks <laughs> about the whole progression of, of Nicholas's journey that also refers to manna as myrrh. M-Y-R-R-H. Oh, what? So... Like frankincense and myrrh I, I, and I, That's gold? kind of an f- interesting little association to the actual Christmas day, twenty like... 25th and the wise men and bringing the, the gifts to Jesus and, the, yeah. and that aspect of Christmas. <laughs> Everyone always like rags on the myrrh. They're like, you know, you can just leave that home next time. Yeah, what <laughs> is it? Well, clearly maybe it was something a little more important, you I guys. feel like the frankincense is the least important out of the three. It also implies that the manna isn't something unique to, to Nicholas, obviously, like we said already. Yeah. Like this mm-hmm. was a, this was documented and spoken of in the history of the, the Jewish exodus out of Egypt and how mm-hmm. they survived. And then also, I actually made a note here as well, that manna is referenced as an ancient energy 
that potentially moved the Moai on mm-hmm. Easter Island. Yeah, another um, this, instance. This sort of like earth energy that was that was uh, harnessed and used to move these math- massive earth mm-hmm. objects. Yeah. And I believe that was also associated with some Hawaiian stuff as well, and just other sort of Pacific legends of this energy. South, yeah. But yeah. it makes you wonder if there's these associations like globally, like in a more broad sense of something that maybe is real. There's like an interpretation of it in the Christian sense and in others as well, which I just think is kind of fascinating to to speculate. It's it's pretty cool. It's really cool. It's the magic of Santa Claus potentially. Yeah. But this liquid, I just want to just re kind of paint a picture for everyone here. So it's gradually seeping out of the tomb. (laughs) Okay, but it's unclear whether it originates from the actual remnants, the relic, the bones of St. Nicholas himself, Mm -hmm. or from within the tomb somehow, like the marble. Is it condensation? Is it from the sea level, like we already suggested? Some people say Bari's on the harbor. It's Mm -hmm. right at the Adriatic. It's low sea level. Could there have been these natural explanations for the mana fluid, uh, including a transfer of seawater somehow into the tomb, which I, I, I it's possibly. Yeah, I guess so. Capillary action, they, they theorize. Yeah. This documentary I just made reference to a second ago, apparently they actually sent in a small camera inserted into the tomb where a forensic scientist, an Italian forensic scientist, was able to view inside. And it basically what he said was like, we already mentioned that there was the, the body lying in a shallow pool of water and that he believed that this was rapidly deteriorating St. Nicholas. But the church doesn't believe hmm. that. And that he's saying, oh, this is going to be gone within 100 years if this is the actual, if this is the the state of the body. But mm-hmm. not everyone believes that that's what's that's inside. Not everyone believes that it's condensation. He was a forensic scientist, hey, this guy that was making these claims. Apparently. And it does make sense, you know, like even like uh, if you think of limestone caves, like, you know, like there's a lot of calcium in that. Like our bones are made of calcium. Like you'd think they would, yeah, naturally just. But we'll, uh, but we'll see, I guess, whether or not the body still remains well beyond its quote unquote expiration date from natural sciences uh, mm-hmm. sequence of events. Because if it still produces whatever people these people believe to be mana, and I say these people because I've never experienced this, and I am not a Catholic. These people, yeah, we don't right? mean that in like a condescending. Well, way no, I mean, but like pe- the people that consume mana. Who are these? That's people? what I'm. That's what I'm referring this to. This must be a small sect of like very devout. I mean, I, I, I have family in Northern Italy. I've never heard of this. Like well, they, yeah. they go to church. Bari is in South Italy. So. It's yeah, it's pretty pretty far south. Yeah. It's not the bottom of the boot, but. You're heading down there, True. south of Naples. So anyway. But it's, it is fascinating. Maybe the fact that there's such a small amount of this mana to be distributed maybe is why it's not so widely known or talked about or I don't know. But to keep it hush-hush. Maybe, yeah, because like, it's supposedly known for its healing properties, like we mentioned, even though it's hard to find actual examples of people that are like, hey, I was dying and I'm not because Well, why would you? But it, well, I don't know. Why would it, you tell the story? I don't know. There's... Gotta keep it for yourself. <laughs> Maybe. That's not very I Christmassy. Know. I All I know is that I've seen accounts, not accounts, but I've seen the idea that, like, if you sprinkle it on, say, like, a, a wound or something or an ailment, it might promote healing. And it's just, like, it's kind of a weird... Sorry, I'm not going to say weird because it's not a good phrase to use, but it's just, like, an interesting faith-induced state. 
I right. feel like. Right. And even the, it's called like the stnicholascenter.org, I think. Mm-hmm. They get into a lot of this. And I was trying to find stories of the actual mana healing things, but I didn't really find it. It was more so stories of St. Nicholas's acts of goodwill and that type of thing. Yeah. But, more easy to document. <laughs> yeah. But they kind of say here, they have this one little note and it says like the pious use of the mana is a source of hope and health. For those who trustingly abandon themselves to God and the true devotion to the saint of Myra and uh, beseeching his intercession and special protections. So Hmm. it's kind of interesting. It's like the most vulnerable. If they just release themselves to to what may come, then they may be saved or or, not saved, but you know what I mean? Like, and they say here, like the the relics of saints and the manna, that is a unique relic of St. Nicholas like the sacraments, are all spiritual helps for us believers to enliven our faiths and to sustain us in the midst of human weakness. Okay. So it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Well, that's what relics are. I mean, it's like, it's Mm -hmm. like in the film Friday we covered in The Nun and it's the relic at the end of that movie. That's, it's the, that's actually the blood of Jesus Christ. Exactly. And that that particular It's living proofs, so to speak, of like some sort of like magic or God, like faith of God, essentially. Like, anyways. Yeah. I'm not, uh. The most, uh, you know, eloquent because not today. <laughs> talking about religion. not today. <laughs> you're you're having a bit of a rough fine, time today, but that's okay. It's good, but apparently there's a lot of controversy on these uh, remains. You know, I, you know, this is kind of natural. Of course, like you already mentioned, right? A lot of people think that the manna itself might even be just natural seawater or some sort of, you know, uh, process that is invisible to, you know, the human eye or to, to casual observation, I guess, but could be a natural process. Or some people think it's an outright hoax. So yeah, it could be a hoax, I guess. It I... could be, it could be. But this is again, according to that Nicholascenter.org, they say the phenomenon, quote, the phenomenon of a presence of water and mana is not easily explainable. It is absolutely excluded that there is some kind of infiltration of water from the outside, for it has been proven that the casket containing the bones of the saint is impermeable. Yeah, that makes sense. So they go as far as to say that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. They say, notwithstanding the various solutions that are arrived at from numerous hypotheses forwarded, whether supernatural or natural explanations of the phenomena, the mana is an authentic relic because it is a liquid that has remained in contact with the bones of the saint and therefore explains the very reason for why there's such a great devotion springing up from this relic. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's... It, so obviously to this day there remains no conclusive evidence or, or you know any sort of conclusion to this but. well it would just be so obvious if you're pulling out basically nasty bone juice mixed with seawater you know what i mean like that's very obvious and, yeah. and it's just so negligent to store our a, a saint in it makes no sense so yeah i don't I don't... So it's yeah, weird. Yeah, why would so, they choose that when they go to Bari? Like, the only thing I could say is, like, back when he was reinterred in Bari, did they do something nefarious to make this still a thing? Because they wanted the power... They wanted... It was, like, almost like a, a religious political thing, where it's, like, because they needed it to be a part of the Christian world, they needed the power to come, so they needed to ensure that, whether or not it would naturally spring up on its own or not. Hmm. But then that would literally be a conspiracy that would be, like, a thousand-year conspiracy at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be huge. Abs- How would they keep it going? 
It'd be, it'd be like so like ancient, the technology that they would have to use for it too. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, I'm not d- negating all this. Like, I think this could actually be a thing maybe. But uh, well, and that's just it. We it's have like to you, consider. And, you and I aren't religious people, but this is the type of thing that fascinates me about just religion in general. Because when you take away all the extra stuff, all the scaffolding around and all the, all the extra bits that make up whatever things about religion or quote unquote, that could be a little bit more speculative, speculative than just like looking at like an ancient person in a tomb. Mm -hmm. What do we have that documents this person? And then did anyone actually get healed by this weird substance? Like if there's Mm. really no way of saying one way or the other, how this gets there, that's paranormal. No, no matter how you slice it, whether you're a Christian or not. Mm -hmm. And obviously they believe that it's a substance, a divine substance of, of the saint, which I guess is God which is why they're able to be healed by it. Mm -hmm. But I'm just fascinated by the fact that like, you even have a forensic scientist saying there's a liquid in here. This is bad because the body is going to be gone if there's a liquid in here. And then you have other experts, quote unquote, or people who would really care about this that are like, no, there's no way that this is Mm -hmm. condensation or water or whatever. Mm -hmm. You're telling me they don't have a dehumidifier in there now? (laughs) Or something like that. Like, it's 2022. All I know is that whatever the case, uh, this tomb remains to be a holy site, and the the bottles of manna continue to circulate with high value in the Christian world. And beyond, I would imagine. There's probably some weirdos out there that are just like... Probably some weirdos out there. (laughs) I don't know. I want the elixir of life (laughs) to make it out of, like, you know, like, the tears of unicorns and some Santa manna. And some Santa manna and unicorns. I don't know. Oh, man. I think that's a better time than any to take a quick promo break. Hey, guys. Andrew here from Into the Portal. Do you feel as though there's something in your life holding you back or maybe things you want to talk about? Have you thought about maybe talking with a counselor but haven't taken that next step yet? Well, BetterHelp.com is the perfect next step. It's making it easier than ever to get on track with your mental health and connect with affordable therapists online from the convenience of your phone or laptop. It's easy to get started, and you can begin communicating with a specialized counselor within 24 hours of signing up. Plus, BetterHelp.com is safe and private, allowing you to get the help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist, receiving thoughtful and timely responses in return. This isn't a crisis line. BetterHelp.com offers you secure, convenient ways to access affordable online therapists all from the comfort of your living room, office, or wherever you find yourself these days. Financial aid is available for those who qualify, so please, if you feel like you could benefit from talking with someone, check out BetterHelp.com and use the discount code PORTAL to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash portal. And we're back. Okay, so we're getting into essentially the transition now to the modern day Santa Claus because we've been talking about this strange substance that's still harvested in Bari, potentially in other places around the world where relics of St. Nicholas are said to remain. But post-Middle Ages, the Protestant Reformation takes place and saints, these patron saints, experienced a little bit of a decline they weren't necessarily as popular or written about amongst Christians because now things were being split a little bit. The Catholic Church being a little bit more 
peripheral compared to other branches of the faith. Mm. But the Netherlands is a place where the idea of St. Nicholas, this idea of him being a very giving person and the legend of that, which was the origin of Santa Claus, continued on mm-hmm. in what was termed Sinterklaas, recognized as essentially St. Nicholas and the first iteration of a white bearded man with a large red cape who actually arrived not by a sleigh drawn by reindeer, but in a boat. (laughs) And he would show up in mid-November with a ship full of gifts for the children of the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And he had a small, little, well, small, not elves, but he had helpers with him as well, helpers, Mm -hmm. uh, who would help him deliver these gifts for the girls and boys. He also, I guess when he landed off the boat, was said to have ridden a white horse in November, and then he basically goes around to all of the neighborhoods and all the different towns. So he's like, you know, he's in different spots. All like it takes a month or so, kind of thing. So, so he's it's all not over. one night. It's yeah. not the one night trip. So it's a little bit more realistic, I think. Yeah, and and it, there's actually almost kind of almost a little bit of a ha- element of Halloween in here too, because mm. their children would sing until there's a knock at the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, the person at the door isn't asking for candy; it's giving the candy through the door. Um, but it's <laughs> yeah. it's Santa it's Sinterklaas knocking at the door for the children mm-hmm. rather than coming down the chimney. So yeah, in Holland it's more common to give presents on this date, the date of Sinterklaas, than actually on the 25th Christmas Day for us. And that then that remains that 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 still goes on to this day and there's some epic Christmas festivals. I sent oh, Amber yeah. a Instagram video today that was actually in Switzerland, but there's ones in the Netherlands as well, but it was an epic outdoor Christmas market where they had an actual reindeer drawn sleigh full size on a zip line, like a hundred feet above the ground over this Christmas market. Not real reindeer. (laughs) No, but with an actual guy in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Going over top of everyone. True. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. And then of course it gets transplanted from uh, the Netherlands to basically the east coast of the u.s yeah and this is and the early stages of settlers there like you've got dutch and western europeans traveling over and setting up shop in new york mm-hmm. and that's kind of where we get the first iterations of the santa claus we know today pretty cool actually new york is kind of the center of it all another thing yeah so let's kind of get into like we've got some other santa tropes like you know like the classics their origins let's get into some of that this is a little bit modern obviously and one I'll mention just before the big one here is the idea of stockings by the fire, which did originate with the Sinterklaas uh, tradition. Right. And that was also associated with, like, the rooftops and, like, him riding in a sleigh. And apparently, or, or not riding in a sleigh, sorry, riding on a horse. A <laughs> white was, horse. A white horse, apparently, named Amerigo. I don't know where that came up All from. Right. But yeah, apparently he would ride along the rooftops of houses and distribute gifts, and then he would put them in stockings that they leave their back door or by a chimney. So that's kind of where that one comes from, which okay. stockings by the fire. I feel like that's, unless you're trying to like dry your wet socks, like it's not really the best idea. It's a fire hazard. A little bit. Fire now. inspector doesn't like that. <laughs> a little bit. And okay. who would expect someone to come down their chimney? <laughs> well, the door would be locked. Well, how else are you going to get in? Yeah, that. Did, how did how did the whole chimney thing start? Actually, <laughs> well, this is it. Where they would put it by the chimney or by the back door if they didn't have a chimney. So you have to leave anyway. Practical, practical. Yeah. It's not like the Tim Allen Santa Claus where it's all magic. This yeah. Santa Claus actually would you don't have a chimney. <laughs> He's got back, like back a door. rope or back something door. or like a ladder, I guess. Uh, oh yeah, with a clatter. 
the latter. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. There was one other big one, though, that is kind of like, you know, where the heck does this come from? We're talking about the reindeer, of course. Santa's eight reindeer. We know them as Prancer, Dasher, Dancer, and Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, and Blitzen. Well but done, well done. <laughs> where did this all come from? Because we had a white horse over with the Sinterklaas tradition, no sleigh mentioned. But of course, if Santa's riding around, he needs something to put the presents in. So maybe that's where that is just, you know, practical. It, sure. But the first mention of, of St. Nick, okay, so there's kind of an evolution here. Let's get into this. Let's yeah. break this down. Okay. Because there's a sleigh, there's the mention of reindeer, and then eventually we get into the whole developed version of eight reindeer. Yes. So Washington Irvine actually wrote a book, and this is early 19, or sorry, 1800s, 1809, and it's called Knickerbocker's History of New York. And this is where we get this first sort of portrayal of the classic pipe smoking Nicholas yeah. as he's soaring over the rooftops in a flying wagon delivering presents to all the good girls and boys and switches to the bad ones. Whatever that so not, means. Not coal, switches. I'm, I'm, no, like a switch, like a whoosh, like that you like okay. hit an animal with. Okay. Is that what that is? Why would you give that to bad ones though? Because then they could hit people with them. <laughs> <laughs> it's for their parents. Let's give it so to their parents. Them. Yeah, give it, <laughs> yeah that's, maybe that's what that means. Yeah, exactly. But then uh, fast forward a decade later, we get 1821 to 22, the first anonymous illustrated poem entitled The Children's Friend that went much further in developing this modern Santa and associating with the, the holiday of Christmas. Mm-hmm. So there was this... Um, it was later built on... Sorry, I, I don't want to be confusing here because I actually added that little... The dates did. from uh, National Geographic. Yeah, that's But then the poem was, I think, later tweaked because there's, there's a name, Clement C. Moore, associated with a poem of St. Nicholas, but there was a lot of different writings that were anonymous. There was, and that's where we kind of get confused because there was competing claims to certain poems and certain writings, and there was this one guy, uh, Clement Seymour, who claimed that he wrote the poem for his children, and it's it's commonly known as The Night Before Christmas. It was actually known as originally A Visit from St. Nicholas, so that's kind of interesting too. I like that title too. That's fine. That works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But we had this other reference here to Washington Irvine, and this was actually from 1912. So again, earlier. 1812. 1812. I always want to say Even earlier. Even earlier. A century. Yeah, sorry, 1812, everybody. And this was the one I originally referenced, I think, like from 1809. But again, it's just a little bit later on. And this was another poem in which Washington Irvine referred to St. Nicholas as, quote, riding over the tops of the trees in that selfsame wagon wherein he brings his yearly presents to children. And so that was actually in a revised reversion of the complete history of New York, written under a different pseudonym. Hence the 1809 to 1812. 1812 to 1809, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what about these reindeer? Because we have a flying sleigh or... What do we call it here? A, a, a wagon? wagon. <laughs> a wagon has to I be mean, pulled by something. Yeah, you know? it does. You think, unless Naturally. it's just magic. But. Mana wagon. Mana wagon. It's just getting pulled <laughs> by the mana. Yeah, it's just propelling itself. <laughs> but we get we get the first official mention of reindeer in a, a pamphlet, actually. It was a 16-page booklet 
entitled A New Year's Present. And this is where reindeer are introduced into this narrative. And this is in around 1821. So it's all in this rough decade. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's all developing really closely. It almost reminds me of the invention of the light bulb, where it's like, you know, there were so many competing patents for it. And then there was the one that ended up winning. To me, the most bizarre thing about this is the fact that this is all so recent. Yeah, Like when we we are celebrating Mm -hmm. Christmas and like growing up as a kid and... You know, thinking of Santa as a as this mythical figure from like forever, For like ancient and history, of years. Right? and yeah, and the version we're looking at with the red the red coat and the hat is only a, is is just a few hundred years old. It really is. Like even in uh, when we were watching the Santa Claus the other day, when they like make mention of like the nine hundred year old elf, <laughs> and it's like right, yeah, it's not a thing. Not it's really. very recent. It's almost like Canada. And they updated their recent wardrobe, invention. maybe. <laughs> Right. So they existed 900 years ago for Tim Allen in that movie. But, you know, they updated the modern wardrobe to the 1820s garb of the time. Get the red hat on, you know, all that stuff. (laughs) New York's cold. Maybe that had something to do with it, too. Mm, Exactly. Continue. All right. So let's get into this little William Gilly uh, publication here. And it was another anonymous author. William Gilly was just the publisher. And this is where we get these reindeer, like I said. And this is how the little poem goes. Hmm. Old Santa Claus, with much delight, his reindeer drives this frosty night o'er chimney tops and tracks of snow to bring his yearly gifts to you. And then it goes on, obviously. That's just the mention of the reindeer, though. Right. Um, yeah, and it, this is really cool. Okay, get ready for this, folks, because we've got <laughs> so many twists and turns in this episode. Of this, But this is kind of cool. So, during an interview the following year in 1822, the editor of the New York Troy Sentinel questioned Mr. Gilly regarding the booklet's author and the topic of the reindeer in the poem. And although he would not go on to identify the author, Mr. Gilly stated that the idea of Santa Claus was not his, nor was the idea of the reindeer. The author submitted the piece, but he added little information. However, he did mention the reindeer in a subsequent correspondence with Mr. Gilly and stated that far in the north, near the Arctic lands, a series of animals exist, and these hooven and antlered animals resemble the reindeer and are feared and honored by those around. And as you see, he claims they could fly from his mother and his mother was actually a quote indian of the area that's that's their words not ours of course um but yeah so it's interesting because there could be this like arctic folkloric connection to these flying reindeer of Mm. santa's mythology right and he's obviously got like multiple correspondence it's not just like a radio submission of a poem it's like someone Mm -hmm. who has an interest in something Wrote that has the story, multiple different. Wrote the story. Wrote a knows po- the. Yeah, he knows yeah. it from his own background and his mother telling him these stories and his own upbringing of flying reindeer. Yes. Before we know of flying reindeer. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So there's this this uh, indigenous Arctic folklore connection to reindeer, and 
the Sami peoples of the Northern Hemisphere. This is of Europe, and they kind of, like, cross over. It's kind of this, like, Arctic Circle kind of thing where they can, they, they kind of waffle Like between. Northern Siberia, <laughs> Northern, yeah. you, like, you, like, yeah, Ar- yeah, exactly. like Alaska, like Arctic. Yeah, because reindeer like, can be found on both uh, the European Northern Hemisphere and North American right. Arctic Hemisphere. Anyway, so these Sami peoples contain many legends and stories about reindeer, and there's one uh, story that tells of the sun, and the idea of the sun that uh, owning this like cosmic reindeer herd, and how basically the sun was pulled on this sledge around the world, and um, it's interesting because like the sun would choose different things, I guess, to pull a sleigh or sledge, as it's referred to, and originally he chose this very strong bear and it was like really bright and powerful and that's made the sun really bright and this was very early on in the year Mm -hmm. uh, so they say but then he replaced his bear with a a reindeer bull so a male reindeer and then with a reindeer cow as the year progressed and this would cause the sun to become weaker and weaker until it vanished entirely into the winter which explains obviously because in the arctic you get Half a year of darkness, mm-hmm. half a year of light. Of course. So that's pretty cool. And then apparently it goes on to say here, the daughter of the sun, uh, known as the sun maiden, she <laughs> eschewed or like poo-pooed a celestial suitors and decided to marry a man from Earth. And her dowry was part of the sun's reindeer herd. So that's how they made it to their earthly or terrestrial sort of beings kind of so thing. they're these these they're like hercules like they're they're fi- mm-hmm. they're like a 50 50 uh what's that called um a demi demigod type kind of where they have yeah. these, they have a paranormal element to them but they're of this yeah earth. yeah yeah, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. like it's it's of this earth but it has extra abilities totally yeah yeah, so it like kind of explains a little bit of the magical nature of these creatures and i love that there's another tradition too that's in the far reaches of like northeastern europe and this is in mongolia and uh, the people of the Dukha, the Satsan, I don't, I don't even know how to say that. Uh, the Gobi, they're, they're yeah. guarantee they're nomadic peoples of the Gobi. They are among the last nomadic reindeer herders in the world. There you go. And there's only about 40 families remaining. So these families have kept up these stories and traditions of their people, including the reindeer traditions and these folklore tales. And one of these has to do with these, like, origins of flying reindeer, maybe. And it's these deer stones that depict uh, these deers that are, like, basically, like, leaping through the air, often with the sun between their antlers. Like, so as if they... Just like you described. Exactly. So maybe they're pulling the sun along or whatever. It's, it's really cool. And these deer stones are really big. Like, they're over four meters tall in some instances. So they all face to the east, which is interesting too, okay. right? Because the sun obviously rises in the east, sets, sets in the west. In the west. So, so it's picking up the sun and 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 carting it, guiding it, pulling it. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating because obviously, yeah, you'd think that there would be a complete arbitrary association with the Santa's reindeer and the modern version of Christmas. They just seem like a magical type animal. They have huge antlers moose would work but they're a little bit too uh lumberous and, and just sort of bulbous <laughs> mm-hmm. or whatever they're giant jonas valentunas is out there you know what i'm saying like this just makes more sense and but i just love that like they mm-hmm. actually believe in their legends that there are mythical properties to the reindeer that they possibly did have an association with the gods i think yes. that's so cool there are definitely other peoples of siberia that i actually don't have notes for right in front of me but i believe we referenced it 
in our um, maybe Depths of Baikal episode or possibly others. I believe it's the Yaku Gears mm. um, and potentially other nomadic peoples of Siberia that herd reindeer as well. Yeah. And they have traditions where their, sh- uh, their shamans are very closely connected with the reindeer. And when they do their spiritual journeys, I don't know for certain whether or not there's a reindeer necessarily maybe helping guide or pull anything, but I bet you if I looked hard enough, we could find something there. Because it's a very revered animal in the yes. the cultures of peoples across Siberia, Mongolia, mm-hmm. and the, the north. So the Yaku Gears, it's interesting you mention that because we do have a little brief reference here. Okay. That talks about the flying and the connection between flying reindeer and shamans and the idea of magic in the form of fungi. So there's like supposedly a type of mushroom that is psychotropic and it grows in this area and reindeer eat it. And so do shamans in order to aid them on their spiritual journeys. Right. So maybe that's what you're talking about right here. Yes. Where yes. They're, they're doing the same thing. There's a very close connection the reindeer are flying alongside the shaman. Maybe they're having a, a, a synergized spiritual journey together. <laughs> and I'm not even saying that in like a, like, this is insane no, kind of thing. No, it's real. It's real. Yeah. And if you've ever done mushrooms before, you'll know that can be a spiritual journey in and of itself. So, Absolutely. Like, it's it's crazy. So, well, and here, here's isn't the, that interesting? It is, because let me throw this. Because so, why reindeer, right? And l- let me connect all the dots here. Let me let me do the everything is connected thing <laughs> yeah. for you guys here on Into the Portal. Because we were talking about manna. We made historical references to it with the exodus out of Egypt and possibly references to a similar you mean type. In Turkey? Oh, oh, sorry, the yeah, excess yeah, uh, out of Egypt, of the Jews. Yeah, 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 oh, sorry, with, the same, with the substance mm-hmm. appearing as the dew. Mm-hmm. And then, again, uh, later on, like we have it with St. Nicholas in, in the coffin in Myra and, and, and in Bari, we have the use of a substance, mu- magic mm-hmm. mushrooms, to access a different plane of existence, a mm-hmm. different perception of reality. Mm-hmm. And some people think that's, that's just getting, like, high, but it's not. It's, it is changing, altering your perception so you can see things that you wouldn't mm-hmm. normally be able to. Mm-hmm. And and shamans use that to harness that. Exactly. And, and, yeah, exactly. And it makes you wonder if there's... Obviously, the reindeer end up getting associated into this mythology as well of Santa Claus. It just makes you wonder if perhaps, like, the shamans that are able to fly with the reindeer would also be able to, like, see the effects or the abilities of a substance like mana when they go into a state like this. Hmm. I'm not saying mushrooms are mana. That's not what I'm saying. No. But I'm no. saying that... There's potentially like a uh, like a level of enlightenment that's a crossover here. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where maybe there is like an ability to access mana for these peoples as well, without it actually seeping from the bones of Saint Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's also referenced in these ancient accounts as well. Maybe well, moving the giant monoliths of uh, yeah. uh, of other places or whatever. It's 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 a greater, more broad energy that's really hard to pin down in a physical form. Mm-hmm. And the one instance of that happening is with St. Nicholas and this physical yeah. manna that we can see today, quote-unquote, because the stuff that we yeah. allegedly have documented for the exodus out of Egypt, of course, we can't see. That's no. just on record. True. And we're not saying that has psychotropic properties. <laughs> Neither no, does this manna. No, no, That's what we're no, suggesting by any means. No, no, no. But, no, no, but no. I do understand what you're saying. And it is cool because obviously water and fungus are both very natural properties, very terrestrial. They're very, like, close to the earth. And fungi have very vast networks right very uh the the filaments and the the ways that they interact with different 
things in their earth are yes are still a mystery to a large degree they're very fascinating but maybe and i'm thinking the capillary action of maybe this water that was actually a very mundane ex- scientific explanation for why mana might be or water might be existing in the tomb of Nicholas. but i'm just saying there's lots of things we don't understand about this earth that's kind of the main point there's not really yeah. much to say about that but beyond that i, I guess i should say but it, you can't discount any of it no and then, and then, of course, you just have this connection of flying reindeer pulling Santa's sleigh <laughs> and people in the north that be, that have associations with flying reindeer. Yeah. It works out. Because guess what, everybody? Santa's uh, North Pole location is supposed to be. Did we actually... Did we actually say... Sorry, I said that the idea of flying reindeer may have resulted from the shaman's use of magic mushrooms. Did I actually say explicitly that reindeer consume these mushrooms? You, you did. Okay, so, and, good. I just wanted to clarify that. It's not yeah, as if you did. shaman are sitting there eating mushrooms, looking at the reindeer and being no, like, no. these guys are flying too, man. So like, can you imagine these <laughs> reindeer actually might think <laughs> that they're flying too? But we've talked <laughs> no. about... We've talked about how animals can reach a different perception, like they can see things that we can't either. Mm -hmm. These reindeer are literally digging through the ice to get to these mushrooms. They can smell them. And it's it's, it's almost like uh, the dogs that can get... Yeah, yeah, uh, like, like, uh, oh, uh, truffles. Truffle truffle dogs. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But it isn't just for sustenance. I mean, they're into it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I love, I I just, I I just, I, it's a hilarious connection. We don't need to say anything more than the fact that like North Pole, Santa Claus, Mushroom-eating reindeer and shamans that believe in uh, godlike deityed flying reindeer. Yep. It's perfect. It couldn't be more into the portal. <laughs> it couldn't be. It it can, can, into the portal Christmas. It, it could be more into the portal Christmas. <laughs> Andrew's eyes are shining with clear. Oh, right it's like, me, it's like Andrew on Christmas morning. Yeah, it is. You look a like a five-year-old kid. right now. <laughs> grinning from ear to ear. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. And honestly, guys, that kind of brings us down to pretty much the end because we've got the modern iteration of christmas the night before christmas or yeah. was the night before christmas was the narrative poem that we all know so well uh december 23rd 1823 is when that was uh published in the new york sentinel mm-hmm. the names of the reindeer end up going down in lower yep also persisted that's from that poem that's from that poem and then rudolph gets tacked into this uh yeah. much later on much, much later on. He's not really associated with the uh, the real early stuff we've been talking about here. 1930s. And it's much more of a marketing Christmas mm-hmm. Christmas uh, thing. Although I guess the, the depression of the 1930s, a little bit of a red-nosed reindeer isn't the worst yeah. thing in the world to invent and add to the lore of Christmas. They wanted to... Yeah, so this marketing firm, Montgomery Ward Group... They wanted to come up with a, it was like a soft cover free story, a Christmas story that they wanted to distribute to people. So it was an invention of marketing, but it was meant, it was, it was kind of nice because this guy, Robert R. May, who was the author of this story, he at the time has kind of fallen on hard times himself. And, you know, being the depression, it wasn't, his career wasn't going spectacularly. He described how he was like, oh, I was sitting there describing men's shirts instead of writing, like, you know, the novel to change an era is kind of what he envisioned himself doing. Meanwhile, his wife's dying of cancer. They have kids that he has to feed, all this kind of stuff. So it's not really all, like, you know, he could use, peaches and He cream. could have used some mana. He could have, definitely. And so he was very much inspired by, you know, just the idea of, like, a down-and-out character, kind of an ugly duckling, so, so to speak. Someone... A character inspired by his own shy nature as a child and 
you know, someone that would appeal to Santa's good nature ultimately. And so mm-hmm. if you think about the icon of Rudolph, like, you know, he's very much an outsider that comes to save the day. Right. And I guess, yeah, it was, it was a very whimsical, very heartwarming story that was super successful during well, a time of a lot of hardship. Yeah. And also kind of interesting because the character itself of Rudolph, like they wanted, like Montgomery Ward Group explicitly wanted like a animal as like the main character and they uh they were ultimately inspired by a propaganda bull named ferdinand that was dreamt up by disney and uh it was just featured in a short film during the war i guess so okay i've never heard of this bull well why would you right you weren't around rudolph i don't know where the actual name of rudolph came from but well anyways it's just yeah yeah, actually, that is, well... Creative license. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure if this was, a, a, well, okay, 1930s, inspired by a uh, propaganda film, A Bull, Ferdinand, First World War, obviously, I'm assuming they wouldn't have gone with the name Rudolph if this happened in the 40s. <laughs> no. After the Second World yeah. War. Yeah. I mean, although it was obviously Germany in the First World War, too, I just feel like Rudolph, a little more modern name, maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, wild speculations here. Rudolph was not a Nazi. <laughs> Let's no, just say that. No. <laughs> Let's just say that. I love that little, uh, um, what's, what do you call those types of short, not shorts, um, like the animated style where it's like stop motion. Stop motion. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So good. We should watch the old stop motion Rudolph here tonight. We should. That basically brings us into the, we're, yeah, modern, modern day Christmas as we all know. And we're going to be waking up to in three Three nights, yeah. everybody. It's the night of December 22nd. We yep. probably won't release this until the 23rd for our patrons yeah. and then maybe on the 24th for everyone else. But yeah. it was really fun to record this, get this done for you guys so we can enjoy the holidays. And Definitely. we hope everyone is going to have a fun, safe holiday season and enjoy yes. the simple things. Enjoy the simple things. Be safe out there. Have a great time. Whatever you celebrate. Mm-hmm, no yeah. matter no matter what you guys are doing this year, Merry whether Christmas, it's Christmas or happy whatever, holidays, yeah, if, uh, happy Hanukkah, all, all Merry this, Kwanzaa, everything yeah, in between, everything we, in between. Yeah. We're, I know we're missing a bunch, but oh, of course, but that's okay. It's all Ram- good. I, well, Ramadan, that's not this time of year. That's another time of year. I don't I know. Don't whatever know. you celebrate, yeah. we support it, and it's awesome. Have an awesome time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess Diwali, we just, that's a little late, but that's a little late. Shout out, shout Diwali. out to that too. Good vibes. Yeah, no, we we uh, we have a Amber as you can probably tell, and Amber and I always have a, a good time around the holiday. Around the holidays. <laughs> You're gonna say Andrew. I almost I, <laughs> I almost combined German. our names there. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Andrew's Drew McRae. That's Drew still McRae. my favorite. <laughs> I've had a couple of beers here. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> I guess my final thought of all this would basically be like. Super bizarre that we had never heard of any of this before, even though yeah. obviously we're not super religious, so make I guess that makes sense. But yeah, let it, me just say shout out to me. Yes, <laughs> because Andrew, yeah. this is like a week before I recorded this. He looked at me, he's like, "Is there enough meat on the bone for this?" And I like looked at him, I was like, "Santa mana, Santa juice, this is amazing. Santa we mana. have to do this. Like a meat on the bone. That's actually kind of ironic if you think about it. Great, good one." Good stuff. Juice on the bone, It's all maybe. bone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, mm. I I really want to visit Bari and yeah. try to time it so I can view some of this stuff happening. Although, mm. of course, we're not going to get let in. Imagine they just let everyone out. Nobody else can come in into the portal? Yeah, you guys are cool. Come check this out. <laughs> you did an episode yes. on it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Peek through the curtain. Boom. Mana. <laughs> juice. Awesome. You guys want a sample? Sure. Would love no, to see that. No, you feel like a nanobot in there. 
just like a little tiny fly on the wall, like so to speak. I would totally well, well, go hop in the lab if that and develop that right Available now. technology for me to buy, I would totally buy that. Well, it is, but little, you, we are the spy poor. fly. Oh, I'm totally gonna patent that. The, the spy, spy fly. fly. <laughs> <laughs> patent it with all your skills right. robotics <laughs> it's brilliant it's a brilliant idea yeah, I just gave that one away <laughs> I I want this to be real despite it being so heavily associated with Christianity obviously and like like us not being devout Christians or anything like that I'm, I'm, I'm agnostic yeah we're exactly so I'm open to this idea mm-hmm. I'm I I have often suggested the the idea that people will only be able to see things or experience things or interpret things the way they're described in this paranormal way if you truly believe. And they Mm. play on that in all kinds of stories, right? you got to believe. It's just like Christmas. They play on that in the Santa Claus. And I already made a reference to Indiana Jones. I think I do in about 99% of all our episodes. But in the third one, which is, again, he's looking for a relic, looking for the Holy Grail. Mm. He has to believe. He throws the... He, he has to take that first step. And anyone who's not a believer is going to plummet into the canyon. But he uh, believes and he's able to step and cross the gorge on the invisible bridge. Right. And that's kind of the metaphor of, like, the mana. You might yes. be able to get to that other side and be healed mm-hmm. if, if, if you believe. And... They even they may, have that with the bell in the, and that's ex- exactly yeah. There's so many the bell, versions yeah, of it. Yeah, in the Polar it. Express, the bell yeah. in the Polar Express, and on a literal level, I think if you again, like I said earlier, if you kind of take away all the other aspects of like the religion and the context that kind of like props it up and the stories of Christianity, I think the substance itself like could could be something mm. real. Mm-hmm. It's now associated with Christianity and used as this mythology and legend building, but maybe there was a mm. more ancient historic root of it and that's why we have references to it around the world in other things that's what i'm ho- hoping for that's what mm. i'm shooting for all right well that's because that would be sweet i'd love to get my hands on some mana yeah why not? mana vapor santa mana. mana i guarantee if you put this stuff in an aerosol can and sold it it would sell like hotcakes <laughs> yeah it was like when they bottled the air of the rockies and sold oh, it to people selling, in china <laughs> they're selling that in oh cool right i mean yeah you can yeah because you can't breathe in a lot of places in, in some of those cities it's so the air quality is so bad you're buying rocky mountain air in a can well you guys we are we're we are actually at the end here um, one thing I wanted to say too is like we're heading into this new year, we would love to hear more of your guys' paranormal stories. So if you mm-hmm. guys have mm-hmm. a, a paranormal story, an encounter, a UFO sighting, a ghost encounter, shadow person encounter, there's so many different things. We know that a lot of our listeners um, have had these experiences. Mothman, flying humanoid. Yeah, if you're from the East knows? Coast, absolutely. I don't know. Please like, hit, yeah. Something we've heard of. We really want to get into more, like, Japanese lore, too, in the new year. Um, We want to focus on, you know, just some really cool... uh, Yokai and stuff like that, too. Lots of Eastern mythology, that type of thing. But hit us up. Like, if you guys Mm -hmm. have a story, email us at intotheportalmailbox at gmail.com, or you can always send us a DM on on Instagram, intotheportalpodcast, Mm -hmm. Twitter. You can DM us there, too, intotheportal1, the number one on Twitter as well. But, yeah, we'd really love to hear your stories, because I'd like to do a piece in the new year year Mm -hmm. about uh, some listener stories. As always, massive, massive thank you to our producers. We have Adam Kellums, Nightwing, Kitsune, Kitsune. 
Jackson Greenberg, Greenberg. Molly the dog. Whoop, 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 Thank whoop. you. <laughs> we couldn't do this without you guys. Thank you so, so much. Stay tuned for the Nazi bell, uh, the bizarre uh, case of that device, alleged device that's going to be coming on Patreon in the new year. And uh, if you guys think you need someone to talk, you might need someone to talk to or our sponsor, BetterHelp, could benefit mm-hmm. you. We hi- I encourage you guys to check it out around the holidays. This time of year is definitely like can be a tough time, a dark time. So we encourage you guys to check that out. The link is below. Hit us up on Patreon. The link is below as well. Uh, you can get a bunch of extra content and all of our episodes uh, without ads uh, for mm. little as a buck a month. And if you haven't left us a review yet, we really appreciate um, a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or yeah. wherever you listen to the show. So I think that about does it. I think so. Thank you guys so much. You are all amazing. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays yes. from your friends here at Into the Portal. Merry everything. Happy always. Yes. We're here for you guys. Reach out to us if you need someone to talk to this holiday season. Yep, for sure. And yeah, we just, uh, we'll see you on the other side. Sounds good. And until next time on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.